You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning, North Valley. Good to be with you guys. I am joined on stage with uh, Brian. And uh, for those of you that are new, my name is Ryan, so Ryan and Brian. And uh, we are here to share with you a little bit about what God's been doing over at North Valley Kids. So, so excited. So why don't you share with us some of the exciting things that are happening over at North Valley. You serve as a coordinator there, and we've got more than one-third of our church is children and youth. So they're kind of a big deal. So why don't you share with us what what God's doing over there? Definitely. They are a big deal, and we're so excited. We've really seen uh, the kids' ministry just growing. And I know some of you know that's part of the reason why we're working uh, towards that building out front as well. But what I'm really excited about with North Valley Kids is that we— like unashamedly teach the Bible every single week. And you could clap for that, sure. Um, it's a really neat program. And I've been a part of churches throughout my life. I grew up in the church. Uh, I went to a Christian college. And I know from experience, there are people who go to church and they don't know the stories of Scripture. And one of the things that we really do well is we teach the Bible um, story from beginning to end. And if you start in kindergarten and you go all the way through to through fifth grade, you'll actually go through the entire Bible two times, which is just amazing. And it's really exciting to see these kids learning the stories of Scripture and actually learning how to apply it. Yeah, we've got a lot of volunteers that tell me, they're like, Pastor Ryan, no offense, like your preaching's good. But I'm learning so much over there as an aide. I'm like learning the entire Bible. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. So FYI, that is incredible to go from, from Genesis to Revelation two times by the time they're in which grade? Like fifth grade. Fifth by the time they, they're through fifth grade. So that's awesome. So, and then for, for the vision of North Valley Kids, share with us about that. So, so our vision really is to partner with parents to provide just an amazing experience for these kids. And so a large part of us being able to successfully teach these kids is having a team, having a crew that is that loves Jesus, loves kids, and can help us, uh, yeah, to just deliver that message of, of the Bible. And another neat thing about the curriculum is that even though we teach Old Testament stories, um, every story we tie back to the life of Jesus, which is just super important. It's not just, oh, these are old stories that happened long ago. This is why it's in the Old Testament because it points towards Jesus. And it matters because that also can affect your life. So it's super important. So with a third of our church and children and youth, there's a great need for volunteers. So tell us about how we could help be a part of doing this. Yeah. So I encourage you, invite you, implore you to be a part of um, Team Envy Kids. And that can mean a lot of different things. So we have um, all the way from teaching positions where you're getting to share the Bible stories with the kids um, to assistant positions where you basically are just there to help support the teachers and engage with the kids and be just a positive influence in their lives um, to even greeting. So if you just, maybe this kids scare you, maybe you're better dealing with adults, um, you can be a greeter and stand outside and help new guests come and get checked in for team, uh, you know, for the Envy Kids uh, each week. So... Lots of opportunities. It's a great spot to learn and to, while you're learning, make a big difference in the lives of kids. So it's shaping the next generation. And it doesn't have to be every week. Even if it's just once a month, we'd love to have you uh, be a part of the team. And so if you come today, connect with Brian over here at the Connection Corner after service. We actually have a special gift for you. Dr. Del Huse donated about $500 worth of books uh, to the church today just to just encourage you guys 
And so I'm going to hold those back and dedicate them towards North Valley Kid, prospective volunteers, and for uh, anybody else that, that uh, you decide you want to do yeah. with it. I'm the gatekeeper. A there little incentive. Go. Come talk to me. All right, so let me pray for them, and then I want you to pray about being a part, and then take that step of faith and come talk to Brian in just a minute after the service ends. All right, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for children, and uh, thank you for uh, this church and uh, the great privilege that we have to help invest um, into the lives of kids. Um, what, What a privilege, what a responsibility to help shape the soul of a child, uh, to conform more and more to the image of Christ. And Lord, in that there's great joy. And we just want to partner with parents as a church staff. We pray for parents and uh, singles to be involved in the education and the equipping of the children's ministry. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus, do a great work in and through us for your glory. Amen. Amen. You guys give Brian one more big round of applause. Uh, It's really important to know that we got guys like him investing in the lives of kids. A lot of times you'll go to a church and it's only ladies are involved. Men, take this as an invitation and a challenge to help invest into the lives of kids. It makes a big difference. Um, Well, hey, I want to just tell you, I think God loves this church radically. I don't mean he loves the building, although he, he uses buildings. He loves you. And the reason why I know this is because every time I step forward in the next ministry year, I see God's incredible favor and grace upon our efforts. And one of those uh, manifestations of God's grace is the teaching team. Um, Good churches have good Bible teaching, and it points to Jesus, and it challenges and exhorts people to live the life that's the best life, and that's the Christian life. And a teaching team. And so, um, Dr. Daryl Husey is, I got a privilege to be with him all day yesterday at the seminary. Um, took a number of our staff down there, was greatly blessed. Um, he's on our teaching team. And then Bob, Bob Lehman, he'll be here next week, is on our teaching team. Guys, you have more than a hundred years of teaching experience as a church. And most of those years rely with uh, Dr. Daryl. And, uh, but, but it's just a privilege. So will you welcome him to the stage here at North Valley? Thank you, Ryan. What a sweet way of saying, well, the old man's back, which is fine. <laughs> Good morning to all of you. Like uh, Pastor Ryan shared with you yesterday, we had a symposium over at Phoenix Seminary. Uh, a symposium is a little different than a conference. Conference is everybody gathers together and listens to people. A symposium is when you really bring great minds together to, to deal with an issue that everybody's concerned about. And the issue of yesterday really had to do with this general mental health uh, of our country, specifically in the rise of fear, anger. Boy, people are getting angry at everything and anything and, and suicide especially among our youth ages 15 to 24, there's this huge rise in kids taking their lives. You read about it almost every day. And so the symposium was to gather together to talk about what's going on, what's changing, why is this on the increase, and this whole issue of mental health. We've all been made aware of mental health. Um, What is it actually? See, well, well, when people think quirky, well, come on. We're all a bit quirky. Uh, As a matter of fact, that's one of the things I'm described as with my wife. 
She says, I'm a lot of fun in small dosages because I do tend to be quirky. Well, does that mean I've got a mental problem? Well, not really. I, 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 at least not in my opinion. I believe that mental health is, if you know how you're quirky and why you're quirky in certain areas, that's pretty healthy thinking. For, for example, for me, I um, don't, don't ever promise me things. I find myself getting angry at people who make promises. Well, why, why? That's kind of quirky. What, why is that? Oh, it's simple. I know why. I was raised by a father that made all kinds of promises to me and never kept one of them. And so I'm stuck in this beat-up old car. You know, my soul is very much alive. I look in the mirror and go, what in the world happened, you know? If you're quiet, you can hear them. Let me out. Let me out. But we're stuck. Our souls may be young, but we're stuck in these bodies. And this body has a few dents. One dent was kicked in by my dad. That causes me that when you make me a promise, I kind of look at you cross-eyed. Well, does that mean I have a mental health problem? No, because I know it's quirky. I'm very careful because that could be insulting to people. But I also know why. On the other hand, if you don't know how you're quirky, and you don't know why you're quirky, whatever that is, well, then we've got a, 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 a problem. And apparently, there is a problem. We're supposed to be healthy, thinking human beings. But how is that possible when I read that? 60%, 60% of visits to the doctor have to do with mental stress. That I found out of the 10 major uh, diseases that cause death in America, only one has anything to do with infectious disease. Everything else has to do with Emotion, thinking. As a matter of fact, the most highly prescribed drug in America are tranquilizers. So that means we, we've got a problem with something going on pe between our ears. The stress level upon kids, on us, things are changing. And the way you think and respond to stress, apparently is going to have everything to do with even the, your body and how the health comes to your body. Now, now, people are looking for ways to deal with stress. I found one. I, I actually found a diet, uh, a diet for reducing stress. I, I like this one. For breakfast, half a grapefruit, one slice whole wheat toast, and eight ounces of skim milk. It's breakfast. Now lunch is four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, one cup steamed zucchini, one Oreo cookie, and an herb tea. Mid-afternoon snack, uh, the rest of the package of Oreos. <laughs> One quart Rocky Road ice cream and a jar of hot fudge. And then you come to dinner. Two loaves of garlic bread, one large pizza, uh, pepperoni pizza, two large pitchers of Pepsi, three Milky Way candy bars. Then you finish the whole thing off with a frozen cheesecake directly out of the freezer. Now that's going to relieve stress until you become so fluffy that that may increase other stressful issues here. What, what is the key to a healthy mind? Healthy thinking. The healthy mind has one thing, one thing that the unhealthy mind does not have. And it's some, the one thing you got to have if you're ever going to have a healthy mind. And of course, that's peace. That just comes down to, to peace. In the 50 years of ministry that I've been involved as a pastor, I don't know how many times I've been with... Uh, Individuals that are, are pretty, you'd think, successful. Um, and they all say the same thing. It's faster if I could only have peace of mind. If I could only have peace of mind. Like the more stuff you get, 
Uh, the, the older you get, the more things, the relationships. I used to think, older you get relationships and everything gets simpler. Excuse me. You start feeling everybody in your family is a walking bruise. Because now you got kids, you got grandkids, you got great-grandkids, you got neighbors, you got relationships. And what does that all spell? Expectations. And so life becomes more and more stressful. And you wonder, Lord, how can I just have peace of mind? Because the fruit of the Spirit... Remember, the Holy Spirit within me promises to produce love, joy, and peace. So what is this, this, this peace thing? Well, it comes from healthy thinking. Spiritual healthy thinking puts you in a place where the Spirit of God can produce this thing. And by the way, peace is not the absence of something. People think, well, I can have peace if I drink enough, medicate enough, take a few vacations, quit my job, change this, change that. No, no, you understand. When Jesus says, I've come to give you peace, not like the world gives you peace. The only peace the world gives you is the peace when you escape stress. But the biblical peace that the Spirit produces is not the absence of something, it's the presence of something. And what's the something? It's remarkable rest. The sense of rest because you're no longer afraid. And when you're no longer afraid, you're no longer angry. And when you're no longer angry, it results in a thing called joy. So, if you haven't already, open your Bibles. You're involved in this wonderful uh, uh, study put together by your pastor on transformational thinking. So, I mean, you've got to think right before you can do right. So, let's start between the years. And then everything kind of folds from there as far as God, you know, unfolding these things. So first of all, well, then what is unhealthy thinking? Where where, where do we get snagged with unhealthy thinking? Well, here in chapter 4, Philippians, he gives you unhealthy thinking in the first three verses. Now, Now, I've been assigned one word. It's amazing what I can do with one word. But, you know, in real estate transactions, what's the three magic words? Location, location, location. In Bible study, it is always context, context, context. So what is the context of this one word that I have an assignment this morning to share with you, insight? Well, it begins uh, first with unhealthy thinking, the first three verses of Philippians 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, and I want you to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, I have great joy to know you're doing well. You're standing firm. Healthy thinking. I urge Yodia and I also urge Syndicate to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Apparently, we've got the, the, these two ladies that are having some, some problems in the church. Paul's begging. He says, these these ladies need a little help from a friend. He says, I'm urging you, I'm begging you, live in harmony. Now, literally, here's what what he wrote. The same thing be thinking. See, these two ladies have hit a snag because they've done and they're doing what we all learned in junior high. It didn't work then, but we don't shake it. It's a very simple axiom, and it's this. When hurt, hurt back. Because we got somewhere in our mind and of our foolishness that when you hurt me, then I'm going to hurt you back. And that's supposed to resolve and create peace of mind for me. Hello. That didn't make any sense. And these dear ladies are snagged in their hurt. One betrayed the other. One gossiped about the other. We don't know what happened here. 
Paul's begging that may they come and have the same thing be thinking. Because emotional pain messes with healthy thinking. Because when I am feeling, I'm not thinking. And remember the old thing, you know, uh, 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 you start getting angry, start getting hurt, get absorbed with how you're feeling. That's when you need to be, keep on thinking, keep on thinking, keep on thinking. Because thinking will put your emotions, your feelings, back in context. But if you don't promise the way we're put together, that emotion will get more deeper. and You'll feel, feel, feel. People ask me, how are you feeling today? I don't know. I don't care. I do better when I don't think about how I'm feeling. I'm more concerned about what am I thinking about today? So healthy thinking is not being absorbed with yourself. Distracted, absorbed with how I'm feeling. Rather, I was led to believe that the goal of all life is to feel good about everything. Of course, my problem is the more I thought about how I felt about things and where I got wrapped up and absorbed with my feeling and the more I got absorbed with how do I feel about people and how do I feel about things, I became more miserable. And the only way out is instead of the stress, and stress comes the more I am absorbed with how I'm feeling about everything. How do I relieve this stress? Man, I got to turn these eyeballs outward. Because if these eyeballs stay absorbed with myself, and I'm still all about how I feel about everything, then I'll never experience the peace of God. And I'll always, life will be a competition. I'll always be fearful. I'll always be angry. Because there will always be people who will disappoint my expectations. And there'll be things that I will be fearful of. So then what is healthy thinking? How do I put myself in a place where the Spirit of God can produce this peace, this sense of rest, the sense of not being fearful? So Paul goes on. He says, well, let me tell you. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm telling you, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now be anxious for nothing, but not in everything. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Why? Here's the promise, direct promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your what? Your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, now learn, if you ever study Paul's writings, whenever Paul says finally, it usually doesn't mean a thing. All right, he's still got more to say. But it's kind of like this is the last thing he wants to nail. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any experience, excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Why? The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Just don't be listening to this. Practice this, he says, and the God of peace shall be with you. There's a promise. Now, notice he says, Paul says, I've said it once, I've said it again, rejoice. He says again, I'm telling you, rejoice. Now, what is rejoicing? Well, that's giddy, that's happy, that's singing. No, 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 not necessarily. It's a command, it's a choice. And this word rejoice, the root word is the word kara, from where we get the word joy. And the essence of joy is the absence of being afraid. It's the absence of fear. So when you are not fearful, then you experience this sense of rest, 
which is this wonderful confidence of peace. So what he says here, it's a choice that you need to make once and for all. Now, how do I make the choice to rejoice? How do I think, what am I thinking about that's going to remove these fears and relieve me with a sense of joy? But it comes down to one thing. Am I trusting God that he's in control of every, every detail of my life? I, I, I know we say that, you know, uh, well, I know God's in control of my life. Yeah, no, 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 no. What he's talking about here, have you chosen to believe that God has and is in control of every detail of your life? Well, why, why, why would I believe that? You'll see in a moment. So he says, let your forbearing spirit uh, be seen. That's the word forbearing. It's a tough one because we don't have an English word for it. Not for the Greek word. So it's been translated gentleness, considerate, generous, kind, a sweet reasonableness. Doesn't that help you big time? Be reasonable. Literally, it means a willingness. A willingness to yield to the needs of someone else. It's like the very first thing. If you want to get a handle on this peace thing, this no longer being fearful of everything, it's no longer getting angry at everything. It begins with, he says, a willingness, a forbearance to be absorbed with the needs of someone other than yourself. Now, wait a second. Where does that leave me? I've heard you Christians talk about stuff like this. So do I get the short end of the stick? I mean, come on. Me, myself, and I, the blessed Trinity. I mean, the universe centers around me. I need to take care of me. Nobody else will. And we buy that baloney. And yet the truth, he says, if I have this forbearance and let it show, this willingness to forget about how I feel about me and my needs, be absorbed about yours. He says it's going to be the key to this peace. But why, why, why would I do that? Well, Paul, I love Paul's answer. Because the Lord's near. Because the Lord's near. Are there some things that affect you when you know who's watching? And that's what the phrase is talking about. It's not talking about the second coming. It says right now, Lord's near. Romans 8 says that Holy Spirit is called Spirit of Christ. In you, you have the very presence of Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. He's always there. I found out yesterday I have two sons and they each have three of my grandchildren. Uh, three of them are here and three up in Idaho. Little Claire, she's the youngest. She's six. I describe Claire as a, a doll in one hand and a gun in the other. I mean, she just, she's going to be fun to watch, I have to admit. Well, anyhow, she's in uh, first grade up in Idaho, and I found out yesterday that, that when she got into the car, she burst into tears. Why'd she burst into tears? She got a yellow card. Well, what did she get a yellow card for? Well, because she rolled her eyes. This school's a very strict school. I love it. She rolled her eyes. The teacher said something, and with disrespect, she come and rolled her eyes. You know, apparently she felt free to do that in front of the teacher. But when she found out that her father and mother are going to know she did, it affects her behavior. She won't roll her eyes at her mom and dad because of the deep respect. My dad was a butcher. After he got out of the rackets, that's another story. And I remember, I don't know why, but they always had the same uniform. Black shoes, black pants, white shirt. White iron shirt with a white apron. 
And then they would cut meat all day. And then he'd come home, and this part of the shirt would be white, and everything else bloody. And I remember not being too sure I knew what my dad did during the day. But I knew he butchered a lot of things. And mom would always say when I messed around as a little kid, she'd say, wait till your dad gets home. What a horrible thing to do to my dad. He works all day, he comes home, where's his son? He's running out the back door, scared to death. Because there are certain things that affect what I think and what I do based on who I know is watching me. And Paul just lays it down. It may not be politically correct, but Paul simply says, come on, you're in the presence of Jesus. The Lord, your Lord is near and observing. Therefore, let your forbearance be shown because it is the way of the peace of God. Now he says, he gives a list of eight things here to focus on. So you you focus on, on these eight and it's remarkable. You focus on one and you'll get all eight basically and And this is the one word that I was given. Notice he says here in verse 8, whatever then, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and whatever is right. I got to sign the word right. This word right, sometimes translated just. Think on that which is just. So you think of justice. So equity, fairness, it's not what the word is. Uh, It's the word dikaios. And it's a fascinating word translated right. Because the very word is sometimes translated righteousness. It's sometimes the exact same words translated justification, to be justified. We sang, because of the death of Christ, you've been justified. You've been made righteous in Christ. Boy, don't you love Christianese? I mean, we use these words and we pretend we have a clue what they mean and we don't. What does it mean you've been justified? The word is dikaios. What does it mean that you've been made righteous? The word is dikaios. What does it mean that you are to think about that which is right? The word is dikaios. You're to live a righteous life. The word is dikaios. It would help if I knew what it meant. So then I would know who I am, what I am, and what I'm supposed to be doing in my Christian life. And so this word was an ancient architectural term. All it meant, dikaios, was spoke of the relationship between two lines. When those two lines were in a right relationship, they were justified. For example, you're building a building and you need to have a right angle over there. So you do the blueprints. So you got two lines, you hook them at one end. Now, the moment they're at 90 degrees, that's the right angle. That, 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 we didn't remember, we didn't sleep in geometry. <laughs> Algebra, I slept a lot. But, yeah. but this thing, basically what we say is those lines are justified. They're put in a right relationship. When you were dikaios, justified by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, it's the courtroom scene. In court, you've been declared in a right relationship with your creator. And it has something to do with Jesus Christ on the cross and your forgiveness. You were justified, declared in a right relationship with your creator, made in a right relationship with the creator, that is, you've been made righteous. You've been justified. So then what is the right relationship with God? I mean, he's the creator, we're the creatures. Yeah, but he's got all kinds of creatures. He's got dogs, cats, worms, maggots, and us. But but it seems like he wanted a different relationship with us than a maggot. Genesis 1.27, the very beginning, he says, God created man, both male and female. So you ladies are in this. 
God, remember there's male man, female man. God created man, both male and female, in his own image. He didn't create any other beings, any other creatures in his image. So there's right away something unique that this relationship had something to do that we bear the image, the capacity to manifest a relationship with our creator unlike any other creature. Well, what is that right relationship? What relationship did God want with us created in his own image? Get a clue from Jesus. Every time Jesus prayed, if you study the gospels, he began every prayer. Father, our father, when he taught us how to pray, when the boys said, when we talk to the creator, how do we address him? What did Jesus say? Our father who art in heaven. Look at every prayer of Jesus. It always began with father, father, except for once when he was on the cross, cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, maybe Jesus is losing it there. Well, if you're losing it, you don't quote scripture. And he quotes Psalm 22. Because if you want to know what Jesus was thinking and feeling while he was on the cross, read the rest of Psalm 22. Because I promise you, Jesus knew the whole Psalm. But every other time, he says, when you talk to, the, to your creator, refer to him as your, recognize him as your father. What do you think John meant in John 1.12? But as many as believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to them, and it's a legal term, to them God gave the authority, the authority, the right to be called what? Sons of God, children of God. All of a sudden, this is what Paul's point in 2 Corinthians 6, 18, when God says, I'll be a God to you. Yeah, I created you, but I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me. The relationship he's always wanted was a relationship between a father and a son, a father and a daughter, a father, a daughter and a, and a son with a father in heaven. That's why in Romans chapter eight, Paul says, God did not give you the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption. What do you think adoption is? Again, legal term, it's a declaration that you're now son, you're now daughter. And then he says in, in, in Romans 8, 16, kind of an interesting verse, don't you know that it's the spirit of God in you that bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? So, so somehow, the Holy Spirit consistently bears witness with my spirit of one thing. Don't ever forget, Daryl, you're a child of God. You're a son with a heavenly father. Now, do they have little chit-chats here? You know, the Holy Spirit's talking to my spirit, and I never find out what they're really talking about. Well, no, no. My spirit is my consciousness. So the Holy Spirit speaking through anything, specifically his scriptures, it's like the Spirit always wants me to get one thing. Remind me of one thing. You're a child. You're a child with a heavenly father. You're a child with a heavenly father. I mean, you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Now it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. And in verse 8 of, Romans, of Revelation 21, what are we called in verse 8? We shall be sons and daughters. That's the right relationship. That's the 90 degree angle. That's what you've been declared in cosmic court that we have a heavenly father. So what is right? Think upon that which is right. What makes something right? What makes something wrong? Your opinion 
The way you were raised, we're all accused with our own different, you know, self-righteousness. And our, no, no, you want to make something right? If it pleases my heavenly father, it's right. If it displeases my heavenly father, it's wrong. I have to go no further. So if I have a pursuit of equity, justice, uh, I, I'm so afraid of letting people down. I want people to like me. I mean, we all want people to like us. But have you noticed there's always somebody mad at us? So when is it going to be? Am I just going to go crazy? Remember, fear, anger, no rest, no peace. How am I ever going to have peace of mind knowing that there's going to be people who will disagree with me, dislike me because of what I think, what I do, what I believe? The only answer is as long as I know what's right for me, I think upon what is right. What is right? What would please my father? What is wrong? What would displease my father? It's for the rest of you, take it or leave it. That's how I live. That's living out righteousness. A righteous life is when I'm doing things, saying things, as if I am in a right relationship with the creator as a son would want to honor his father, as a daughter would want to honor her father. I think one of the most sad, sad verses in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36 here God's having a talk with his, with his nation, the chosen nation. And in verse 22, he's chewing them out. He says, here, I've called you, I've blessed you, I've used you, I've taught you. Now I've sent you out into the world to be my witness. And he says this, you have profaned my name. You have shamed me by the way you've conducted your life around the world. And all I wanted you to do, I created you in my image because I gave you the capacity to manifest and to be able to do that which would please me as your heavenly father and that you would not do those things that would displease me as your heavenly father. That's what thinking upon what is right. I, every morning I pray the, the Lord's prayer out loud so I can hear it, so my spirit can hear it. And the first thing, my, our father who art in heaven, what's the very first, of the six petitions, what's the very first thing before you get out of the gates? Hallow be thy name. God, may I not do anything today to shame you. God, may I basically, on the other hand, do all kinds of things that bring you pleasure. That's the prayer. So when everything's said and done, how do I get myself in a place where the Spirit of God will produce this peace of mind, which is the key to healthy thinking, and it removes my fear, my anger, and gives me a life that I can, with that rest, the presence of rest, of peace. It's when I turn these eyeballs away from how do I feel about everything. Why do you want to be like everybody else, a walking bruise? Disappointed, hurt, feeling, angry. Because as long as we're absorbing how I feel about everything, that's where I'm going to end up every time, beloved. But if I just, Lord, it's not about feeling. It's about thinking. Keep on thinking. Keep on thinking. Keep on thinking. And what am I thinking? I'm a child of the Heavenly Father. Well, Daryl, why, why are you doing that? Well, because I believe it pleases my Heavenly Father. Well, come on, Daryl. Come out with the guys. Why wouldn't you do that? What's wrong with you? I really don't want to do that because I don't think that would please my Heavenly Father. I have to say anything more than that. I'm not judging anybody. I'm not condemning anybody. But I am living out righteousness. I'm living out my justification. 
my declaration that I'm no longer a mere creature, like a maggot. I'm actually a son. I'm a daughter. With the deep desire produced by the Spirit of God within me to honor him as my father. Not fear him as a mega god or Thor, but rather just he's my heavenly father. Therefore, like our pastor said, we are radically loved. And what did John say? It is that radical love. When I start making that choice, I'm radically loved. Perfect love casts out what? Fear. Because when I realize I'm perfectly loved as a child of God, guess who's in control of every detail of my life? Therefore, I rejoice. And again, Paul says, rejoice. It's a choice. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share with my younger brothers and sisters in Christ all that you've taught us in your word. Thank you for Paul and how your spirit has moved him to write these things down. And Lord, I pray for those churches they continue this series on transformational thinking that we get even deeper and deeper understanding of what it means to think upon these things so that the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds. Now, Lord, we can be healthy thinking people, lights in this world of darkness, especially when people feel so lost and hopeless. May we be the one to show them the reality of hope because to see the reality of our rejoicing. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.